however far you got in Matthew 6, did you notice how you get a reward from man? If you want to get a reward from man, how do you do it? I think you said a lot of right answers, but I didn't understand any of them. Ra raise your hand if someone would like to say, how do you get a reward from man? CERN the blue. All right, so you, for example, last Sabbath we had an offering. A lot of you are here for that offering. And you're going to put money in the offering to go for a Romanian translation of Whitey materials. Now the question is, are you going to get a reward? The answer is yes. According to Matthew 6, you will certainly get a reward. Your reward will either come from men, that includes women, or it will come from God. And what determines which? If you try to make sure that someone sees that you're giving a donation, maybe even a hefty, if you try to make sure people observe your contribution, what reward do you get? They look at you and they think, wow, he's a good guy. And how much reward do you get? That's it, right? That's all the reward that you get. But if it's a secret thing between you and the Father, when you give something, then what reward, who rewards you? And when he rewards you, according to Jesus, does he reward you openly or does he reward you secretly? Isn't that interesting? If you didn't get that far, it's okay if you don't know the answer, but if you get, you'll find he rewards you openly. You give secretly and he rewards openly. Let me back up, review what we've said, and then start going through this material, how to find, then how to see, and then how to select. What we've said so far, we've said that in your deep Bible study, sometimes the ideas that you come to are not complex ideas. Sometimes they're just deep. Is it a deep idea that God loves me? It's deep. It doesn't require Algebra 2 to understand it, but it does require time. Time to think. We're about to stop the sermon and move into a little lecture. Lecture point A. How to find other passages of Scripture on the topic that you're studying. Have you heard of the treasury of Scripture knowledge? Not enough, so I'm going to tell you what this is. Inside Miss Haley Martz's Bible, she has a, a center column that is full of cross-references. Many of you probably have study Bibles that have cross-references in the middle or at the bottom. Not all cross-references are the same. There are some Bibles that have lots of cross-references. There are some that have just a few. But some man or collection of men, I don't know who it was, way back when, made what seems like a nearly exhaustive cross-reference collection. It feels to me, from what, how I've used it, that he might have taken 50 different Bible cross-references and Bibles with cross-references and put all the cross-references from all the Bibles together. So in the treasury of Scripture knowledge, when you look up Genesis 4.12, it might have 25 cross-references for that one verse. And in past years, it might still be true this year, Young Disciples sells the book called The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. It looks like a Bible, and it's just cross-references. I suggest to you as an incredible resource. There's another resource that helps you find these passages. Why am I talking about finding passages? 
because we talked about yesterday, who does God teach? One of the conditions, he teaches those who are taking what one prophet said, what the prophet said somewhere else, or another prophet said, and putting them together, line upon line, here a little, there a little, but you need to know how to find those other, those other passages. This other resource is called the online Bible. It's only useful if you use a computer. But because of the generation you live in, my guess is that more than half of you over the age of 14 use a computer. Can I just see how many hands of you use computers at home? Yeah, so this is not mysterious to you. All right, so listen. If you're taking notes, this is at www.onlinebible.net. If you go to like .org, you'll get some European version of it. So it's .net, N-E-T. What you find there is, check it out, a free program. I have it on my computer. I use, my devotions are done almost every day on this program. It has perhaps now 60 Bibles in English. It has free Bibles in almost all languages. Look at that beautiful pile of paper. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'm going to be passing this out to you eventually, but I'm afraid I might have lost your attention. Let me get it back. We're talking about what program? Online Bible. I want to brag about it for a little bit and go on. On the online Bible, if you look up, look up Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 12, and while you're looking at it, you just hit the key that says C. That would give you the context, and that is it would make an open window that would show you verses before and after. If you hit X, it would give you the cross-references. You know which cross-references it gives you? The cross-references from the treasury of Scripture knowledge. In other words, a big bunch of them. Not just the references, but the verse where you can just read them all at the same time. It's just so helpful. But I would take up too much time if I keep advertising the online Bible. So you can advertise it to yourself by using it, and I think you'll like it. There are other ways. I think the most common way that we've been taught since we were younger was the Strong's Concordance. Strong's Concordance is useful. And what you do with Strong's Concordance, you can do with online Bible and other Bible programs. The Bible programs are a little bit easier because sometimes you can type in two or three different words and search that way and it helps. But with Strong's Concordance, you can look up a word and you know about word studies. There are some weaknesses there. We'll come back to it. There is another way to find what you're looking for that is hard to describe in method. It's called miracle. Here's what I mean. When I'm studying Isaiah 58, I'm earnestly praying that God will help me understand the passage. I am pleading with God to show me what it means. And the fact of the matter is that online Bible will show me some of the other passages that will help. And the fact is, my concordance will help me find some of the other passages. But some of the helpful passages, online Bible just won't show them up. That was not the proper use of those words. They won't show up on online Bible. And they won't show up with my concordance. But God is capable in my looking and reading and searching to have me stumble across the most helpful passages. How do I find those ones? It's by miracle. Miracles are what you need in Bible study because they, for example, who do you need to be teaching you? God to be teaching you. I'm going to tell you what I've said about finding, and we're going to leave that. 
We talked about yesterday that we need to find other passages on the same topic. Now we're talking about how to find them. One way you find them is by cross-references. There are some hints in the hand I'm going to give you about how to use cross-references, and you want to be sure you read the hints. Like, for example, suppose you have a passage like the one you just read, Matthew 6, 1 through 8. You're going to have cross-references for verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, but the whole passage is sort of about the same topic. If you end up looking for the cross-references for verse 5, they're not going to repeat the cross-references that they listed for verse 1. So if I want to find the cross-references for the passage, what cross-references do I need to look up? The cross-references for the passage. For example, in Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 12, a lot of the most important cross-references are going to be listed next to verse 5. Because in the minds of the people who did the cross-referencing, they thought verse 5 was the beginning of the passage. So if you start looking in verse 6, you, you'll just miss them. Does that make sense to you what I'm saying? Other hints are in the handout. So that was the first part of our lecture. It's about how to find. And now, for the, for the benefit of those who are visual learners and just can't stand to sit in lectures for 50 minutes, do you see how carefully I'm holding this thing? Do you understand why I'm holding it carefully? I don't mean for it to be shaking like that. But it's not because I'm nervous about you. It must be because I'm nervous about it. Isn't that a pretty color? I have long observed that thorns have some of the most gorgeous colors of flowers that exist in nature. Also, I've been hurt many times trying to get a hold of them. This is a good illustration of when you're looking for the right kind of passages to help you in the Bible. A lot of times the places where we want to look are in the Gospels, the book of James. Where are some other easy, maybe the book of Genesis. But we really don't want to look in Hosea, Zechariah, Amos, Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, you know, the places that are a little more difficult to read, push through that mind block that we have from our childhood. Some of the most beautiful gospel ideas are found buried, tucked into passages that we don't understand at all. Can I show you one of them? Would that be okay? Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Micah. Right now, I'm not studying with you about how to study. I'm just giving you an example of something neat that's in the Bible. Micah. And give me a moment to find the passage. Micah chapter 6. You were so close. Now, I, there probably are some beautiful passages in Micah 5. But Micah chapter 6, and we're looking down at verse 5. It says, have you found Micah yet? Yes. Micah 6, 5. O my people, 
Remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Chittim unto Gilgal. Let's stop there for a minute. Do you remember the story of Balak and Balaam? So there is Balak the king trying to get Balaam the prophet to curse Israel. And, of course, Balaam would be happy to, but he couldn't do it. Now listen to what it says here. That you may know, what does it say? That you may know the righteousness of the Lord. If you want to understand the Lord's righteousness, what story does this verse recommend to you? It recommends studying the story of Balaam and Balak to understand the righteousness of the Lord. What is there in the story of Balaam and Balak to understand the righteousness of the Lord? I'll tell you so we save time. When Balaam was up there in the mountain looking at Israel, the Spirit filled him and he said something incredible. He said, I have not beheld iniquity in the people. Think about that for a minute. Was it a million holy people down there in the valley? These are the same people that went after those women and idols just a couple days later. These are the same people that had been griping and complaining for the chapters just before. But Achan had been taken care of. And when Balaam looked down and saw the, the camp, what did God say about the camp? I have not beheld iniquity in the camp. That is incredible. And all I'm sharing with you, instead of preaching on that, because I'm so inclined to switch sermons and preach on that point, but I'm not going to. I'm trying to illustrate for you that there are very beautiful truths about God's character and his gospel tucked away in passages like Micah 6 that are basically beyond our comprehension when we're beginning to study the Bible. Look up the passages and see what you can find. So I told you we would start today by looking at what we can find, or how to find. We're moving now to how you can see. And I'm glad we talked about Balaam and Balak. How one way that I see the truths of Scripture is in Bible stories. Bible stories are incredible inventions from God. And the devil played a trick on us. The devil allowed us to be taught the stories when we were five. Five was a good age to learn the stories. So we learned the story of Daniel and his three friends around five or six probably. What did you learn about that story when you were five or six? What lesson can you learn from that story when you're six? What can you learn? They were brave. To be brave, to do what's right. Any other lessons you can learn when you're five or six from the story? Yeah. God will protect you when you're following his way, and if he doesn't, it's worth doing it anyway when you're five or six. I was just going to say that I heard that story when I was about two or three years old. Well, good. You can learn the story so young. The trick the devil plays on us sometimes is when we get older, we think, oh, I already know that story. And there are some lessons in the story of Daniel's three friends that are for 50-year-olds. You know what you have to do to get God's lessons out of the stories? 
you have to keep reading them slowly. I'll tell you one I learned just a couple years ago from that story. I suddenly realized that that story was hyper-repetitive about using the phrase all kinds of music. That just like in Revelation where you have the whole earth bowing down to the image to the beast and a death decree for those who don't bow down, there in Daniel 3 you have an image to Babylon, an image to the beast, and a death decree for those that don't bow down. And in Daniel 3, what is it that gets everyone to bow down every time? You know, it doesn't just say it once. It says it three, it's about half of the entire chapter is just saying, listing the types of music and then saying at the end of it, and all kinds of music. Then it does it again, lists them all and says, all kinds of music. Then it does it again, lists them, and then it says, all kinds of music. And I began to see in the picture that God said in the end of time, music is going to be used to cause people to bow to the image of the beast. Now, you know, that wasn't a lesson for me when I was five years old. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you want to see truth put together in a way that you can just see things, how they fit together, a beautiful place of stories, and if you're going to see it, you're going to have to go back to stories that you already know and read them again slowly to see what you can find. So we're talking about how to see. Our first step was that you see by by rereading stories that you find in your cross-references or some other way, and reading them carefully to see what God has for you at this stage in your life. And the other thing I already mentioned at the very beginning, you see truth by meditation. I want to illustrate this for you. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. Jude is just before Revelation. Revelation is just before the concordance in the back of your Bible. Jude, and we're looking at verse 5. The Bible says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. I remember when I read this verse and it finally clicked in my mind. You know, I think I might have been five or six when I learned that God destroyed the children of Israel in the wilderness. How long did they wander there? Forty years. years. And how old were the youngest people that survived that besides Joshua and Caleb? Nineteen-ish, right? Only nineteen-year-old people and younger survived the forty years in the wilderness, you know, besides the two. I learned that when I was pretty young, but it wasn't until just a few years ago that I began to think through the thing I already knew. What did I already know? I already knew that the same people that were saved out of Egypt by mighty plagues were killed in the wilderness just a short time later. What I hadn't thought through was the fact that the same people that God saved by miracles were destroyed later. Did I already know it? Yes. Had I thought it through? And when you begin to think that through, does it have an impact on your mind? Does it tell you that though you think you stand, take heed lest you, that the very same people that were saved were still in danger? 
And that idea changes me, not when I know it's true, I knew it a long time ago, but when I am thinking about it. That's how truth works. So how do you see? One way you see is by rereading the story slowly. Another way is by taking time to think about things that you already know until you begin to see some of the, I'm going to use a big word, ramifications. Do you all know that word? Some of the, I don't know a better word than ramifications for ramifications. Until you begin to see how it relates to your life today. Now I'm going to talk to you about how to select. We've talked about how to find other passages. We've talked to you about how to see the truth in those passages. Now about how to select them. Why do I say how to select? Don't you just want to read them all? That's a hard question to answer. But if you, for example, decide to do a study on the fear of God, unless that's all you're going to study for the next year and a half, you can't read them all right now. There's just too much. And it's like that when you want to study faith and when you want to stu- in fact the most important things are like that. There's a great deal in the Bible about them. You learn more if instead of trying to read a thousand things once each, if you limit yourself down to 10 or 12 things and spend time on them. So how do you select? Here's one principle. Let God choose the curriculum. I don't know if I should have you raise your hand, but I think I will just for fun. Maybe I shouldn't, but I think I will. How many of you are in a homeschooling situation where basically you're teaching yourself because your parents are too busy? I was afraid of that. That's not the ideal. I was so overwhelmed by the number of hands that went up, I forgot my point. Selecting, that's what we're talking about. Because when you're homeschooling, the ideal is that someone that knows more than you selects for you what you're going to read. Someone who knows more than you selects for you what books, what you're going to consider. You have someone guiding you that knows more than you, and it's helpful. Some of you don't have the benefit of that, right? Listen, God is a homeschooling teacher who has time for you. And he has selected some topics for this age. Can I tell you what some of them are? The Laodicean message of Revelation 3. The three, you might just write down chapters. The three angels messages of Revelation chapter 14. The sealing message, Revelation 7 and, you know, it's the seal mark of the beast go together, like 7 and 13. Revelation 7 and 13, the seal of God and the mark of the beast. The idea that by beholding Christ, we become changed into his character. You might say 2 Corinthians 3.18, but really it's just all through the entire Bible glorifying God. I'm giving you an example of things that are in God's curriculum. And when I look at like the three of those messages, that first one says, fear God and give glory to him. So what's in God's curriculum for this day and age? To understand the fear of God and understand what it means to glorify him. 
see, God did not make a huge curriculum for this age. He gave us some specific things. They're called the present truth. And if you know what his curriculum is, then when you're studying like Isaiah 58 and you come across something, I'll give you the real examples. So let's turn your Bibles to Isaiah 58, and I'll show you how this affected me last week when I was studying. Isaiah 58, we're talking about how to select the principle of letting God determine the curriculum. Isaiah 58, if we turn it down a little bit, or I could talk louder for you, there's just a kind of sound. Isaiah 58, and we're looking at verse 3. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Do you remember part of the song you're singing that God answers in this chapter? Then I will hear. I forget the words that we've memorized, but the idea is that when I call or when I cry, he will answer us. In Isaiah 58, God speaks here about people who are fasting, they're afflicting their souls, they're crying out to God, and they're not getting the answer that they want. When I begin to look up cross-references to these ideas, praying and fasting, afflicting my soul, I find, I think I might have found like 80 cross-references to those ideas. I don't have time in preparing this study to study 80 passages of Scripture. I might read 80 and just studying one of them. I don't have time to study 80 of them. Do you understand the difference of what I just said? So I need to select. And I was so excited. Some of those cross-references, one of them took me to Leviticus 16. Don't turn there. To Leviticus 16. Why did that make me excited? Because Leviticus 16 is about the Day of Atonement. Now, you know the Day of Atonement is part of the curriculum for this time of earth's history. We live in the Day of Atonement. Since I know something about God's curriculum, about the present truth, when I find a cross-reference to something that's in God's curriculum, I know that's one of the chapters that I really want to study. So I selected Leviticus 16 over many other passages I could have looked at. Do you follow what I'm saying? Then I found a cross-reference to Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel 9, you find there Daniel praying and afflicting his soul and fasting. And is the book of Daniel present truth for our age? It is. So I was so excited. I selected Daniel 9 over many other competing passages. Did I select them because they're better passages? No. If I had had plenty of time, maybe I would have looked at all of them. But if there's not time for everything, what am I choosing? God's assignments. We're going to spend some time tomorrow studying those passages. But for the, what time is it right now? Can I get me? 14 minutes. Okay. Turn with me to Matthew 6. This is where we started. Matthew chapter 6. And I'd like you to look this time at verse 16. I'm going to have you all read three verses silently to yourself. It's Matthew 16, verse 16 to 18. Before you start reading, or after I pray, start over if you've already started. 
Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18. I'm going to have a prayer for you and then read those verses. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask a miracle from you that you would allow each person in this room to understand something that you're teaching them from these three verses. And I ask for this gift in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you just read those three verses? I'll give you a minute. It's Matthew 6, 16 to 18. Matthew 6, 16. Let's talk about it just for a minute. Is there anyone who didn't have time to finish reading it? If you didn't, go ahead and finish. It won't take you long. Matthew 6, verse 16 to verse 18. Have you ever heard of attention deficit disorder? I want to talk about the first two words in that phrase, attention deficit. Not everyone with an attention deficit is diagnosed as having attention deficit disorder. You know what an attention deficit is? We only use the word deficit, as far as I know today, in two contexts. It's when the government spends money that it never even intends to get, and it's when young people have a hard time paying attention. Those are the only two. There might be other contexts, but those are the only two I ever, ever recall hearing it in. Can you see that there is a connection between hypocrisy and attention deficit? Do you understand what I mean by that? Did you see in the verse, why are the people that are being rebuked in this verse, why are they fasting? It's to get attention. They want to be seen. How do you know they want to be seen? They disfigure their faces to make it look like it's just so hard to not be eating for these three days. Didn't it say that they disfigure their faces? Is that what's in the passage? In the passage, maybe this distracted you some, when, when Jesus said, you should anoint your head with, yeah, anoint, but that was the way that they did grooming then, and we do grooming different now. The principle was that you want to go ahead and be groomed, right? Yeah, that's exactly the idea. Jesus indicated that religion for show is of no value with him. Now, just listen carefully. On the Day of Atonement, God ordered the whole church to fast and pray and afflict their souls. 
Now in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about three things people do for show. What three things did he mention? You know, he talked about fasting and praying and that's a good guess, but the other one was giving alms. Right, okay, that was it. You know what those things remind me of? Isaiah 58. Doesn't Isaiah 58 talk about the same things? The fasting and the praying and the giving alms. And what I learned from Matthew 6, why did I choose Matthew 6? Why did I select it? Because it seems to be on the same, not just the same word, but the same idea as Isaiah 58. Listen carefully. I'm trying to explain this. Isaiah 58 mentions fasting. Are there lots of chapters about fasting? Yeah, there's in Ezra and Esther and Nehemiah, there's chapters about fasting. I can find lots of stories about fasting. But Matthew 6 is the chapter that's about the fast that God chooses. Is Isaiah 58 about the fast that God chooses? It is. So it's more on topic, and I select it in particular. I'm going to preach for one minute. Here it comes. Be ready. A lot of young disciples do things for show and to get attention. Do you get a reward if you do that? But it's not the kind of reward you want. The kind of reward you want is the one that you get in heaven, and you only get that one if you don't do it for show. Now, this happens to young people and parents. I I still have 30 seconds left in my sermon, right? This happens to people. A lot of times we do things God said to do in this age, like the way that we eat and drink and dress and the music we do or don't listen to in entertainment. We do those things. But if we do them for show, do you know what the word hypocrite means in Greek? Yeah, someone said it right. It means actor. In fact, it's one of the words that's just not translated in in the Bible. It's just, when you read the word hypocrite, you're reading Greek. Hippocrates, it's, I mean, basically it's the same thing. It means actor. And God says, dear actors, there's a better reward available for you if you'll do, do the right things not to get attention, but for other reasons. And the sermon going on with our main thought. We're going to take the last few minutes of our time this morning for you to do another reading session, and I'm going to have you come back to me. And you're not going to leave. I mean, you're going to just read it right where you're at. But you're going to come back and tell me what you found. Turn your Bibles to Jonah, the book of Jonah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. What's next? Jonah. It's before Micah. If you're already in Micah, why would it be so easy to find it? Jonah chapter 1. And we're looking at verse, maybe I should just look at it to get the verse. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Jonah chapter 1, verses 5 through, that's, that can't be right. Just a moment. It must be Jonah 4. It's Jonah 4, verses 5 through 8. No, it can't be that either. It's chapter 3. 
I found it. All right. Jonah 3. Good handwriting is also helpful in Bible study. Jonah 3 and verses 5 through 8. Just read them to yourself silently now. Tomorrow, when you come to Deep Bible Study, I'm going to give you some time to tell me what you find in this passage, because I think there isn't time to do it right now. So this is your assignment, is to read this. It's four verses long, and come back. Why did I pick this passage? Did this fast successfully bring about a change? And we want to know what kind of fast does. 45-second review. We want to be sure that we know how to find the passages that help us understand. We want to be sure that we know how to see the truth that's in those passages. We want to be certain that when we don't have enough time that we select what's most important. And when we do those things and meet the conditions that God is teaching us, we will understand what he has to say. You are dismissed and you can go. You are dismissed and you can go. Yeah, you can go. You can go, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.